our uh, reading this morning starts in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem. I will cut off every vestige of Baal. From this place, the names of the pagan priest along with the priest, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom, and those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who are dressed in foreign clothing. On that day, I will punish all who skip over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence and deceit. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration. There will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second district, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will do nothing good or bad. The wealth will become plunder and their houses a ruin. They will build houses, but never live in them, plant vineyards, but never drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, a day of ram's horn and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the higher corner towers. I will bring distress on mankind and they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Their silver and their gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather yourselves together gather together undesirable nation before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you seek the Lord all you humble of the earth who carry out what he commands seek righteousness seek humility perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger let's pray Father, we ask that you would speak through your word this morning, Lord. Use Pastor Dean as he brings your message to us this morning, Father. We pray that you would um, be with him, Father. Lord, that you would use him, that you would speak through him, Father. Open our ears, open our hearts to what it is that you would have us to hear from you this morning, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Maybe you haven't opened the book of uh, Zephaniah before, but I'm glad we get to open it up together today. We're going to talk about shame, and shame is a funny thing. You can uh, have it, or you cannot realize that you have it, you have it. Um, you know, you can be shameless in a good way in the fact that you're unashamed of the gospel, but you can be shameful in a way where you're shameless and you don't know the shame that sin has brought upon you. Um, I asked for y'all to pray for me today. I uh, had a sinus procedure this last week, and uh, if you ever had your nose messed with, you don't feel that well for a few days afterwards, and that's kind of how I feel, so I'm going to be sitting down just kind of sharing some of God's Word with you this morning. I've been sharing with uh, Abby Oye, and I've been talking, and really excited about this book because we want you to be excited about the entire Bible. Um, we don't want you to, we want you to spend Genesis to Revelation. We want you to be in every book. And uh, some of the, the books of the Bible that probably get least looked at the most are these 12 last books of the Old Testament. And they're called the minor prophets. There's nothing minor about the prophets. It just means that they're small. I actually did a sermon series one time called What's So Minor About These Prophets? <laughs> and do y'all remember that, Blooms, or no? Yeah, it, it, Joe, you were sleeping during it, maybe, you know, but, you know, so it's like, uh, it, it's, it, it, they're minor because they're small, uh, short books. And so Zephaniah's three chapters, we're going to spend three weeks in the book, and then coming up the weekend after Labor Day, we're going to have kickoff Sunday. Kickoff Sunday is not just the kickoff of the football season. Uh, it's going to be a Sunday that we kick off our fall series. And we're going to be looking at Joseph's life in the book of Genesis together. And so I want you to go ahead, not just read Zephaniah, but go ahead and start reading the book of Genesis. Uh, I'm excited for what God's going to do there this fall. Here's our big idea today. Our big idea is this, God removes shame. God removes shame. Shame is a funny thing. Uh, shamelessness uh, in, in the sinful state is, is actually shameful, where we're unaware of it. Uh, shame keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. And what we see here is Judah, which is, uh, if you didn't know at this time in the Old Testament, Israel was split up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Rehoboam and Jeroboam uh, led each. Uh, one, uh, the northern kingdom split away from the southern kingdom, kind of as judgment against the sins of some of Solomon's sons, and uh, what we see is that uh, is that the the remnant, the lower the lower kingdom of Judah, uh, now has kind of gone through a few different kings. We see in the opening, uh, the ver very first verse. If you read that, the word of the Lord. We know this is unique. This is not just Zephaniah's word. This is a word from God Himself. Came to Zephaniah, and you see, son of Cushi, son of uh, Gedaliah, son of Amariah son of Hezekiah. This is the only Old Testament prophet that traces his lineage to the fourth generation. And likely, likely it's because he wanted to emphasize that person who was in the fourth generation, which is Hezekiah. If you haven't read the Old Testament, you uh, just so you know, Hezekiah was one of the most god, the godliest leaders Israel ever had. He was, uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and Judah suffered through kings who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and then right the next generation didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's why generational ministry for our churches is so important, right? David cried out in Psalm, I think it's 71, 17 through 18. 
God, don't abandon me until I proclaim your might to a, another generation, your power to all, to all who are to come, even to old age and gray hairs. God, don't let me go until I can tell another generation about you. That's me paraphrasing that. But David cried out saying, God, while I have breath in my lungs, let me declare you to the next generation. We talked last Sunday for those who joined us for our Join the Family Luncheon. We talked about how we call them the next generation, whether it be youth Elijah, you know, or the our kids who are downstairs. Uh, we don't, Laura and I like to not always refer to them as the next generation, but we, we like to see them as the generation. Uh, because every single thing, if you don't know this, every single stinking organization on planet Earth usually makes their decisions around what appeals to a young person. And we as a church should know that here we have Zephaniah, and what, what, who, who does it say? When, during what days is he prophesying during? In the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Did you know that Josiah became king when he was eight years old? He became king when he was eight years old. Now, when he was young, he probably had some trusted advisors uh, in the royal family that kind of helped uh, get some of the things going. But what we know is that Josiah turned towards the heart of, I guess, his great-great-grandfather, great-great-great, I don't know, maybe I'm missing a great-grandfather uh, Hezekiah, in that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He turned Israel back to God. We know that Josiah actually discovered through, through, um, through uh, Shaphan and Hilkiah, the high priest, they discovered the book of the law. Israel had been without God's word for literally uh, like hundreds of years, like they had been without God's word. The Bible had become, or the, which was likely the text here was probably a scroll that was more than likely Deuteronomy or what we have of Deuteronomy nowadays. They had been without God's word. That Bible had sat on a shelf, dusty, for literally a, a nearly a century or more. They had been without God's word. And you know, when we don't have God's word, you know what happens? We get crusty, we get selfish, we get shameful. And so what we see here is throughout Israel's history, you had Hezekiah, a great king, and his son was Manasseh. If you don't know anything about Manasseh, Manasseh was, did a lot of evil in the sight of God. We know through church history, Manasseh likely turned his, his show around at the end of his life, but his life was, spill, uh, was filled with, with much persecution. We know that. Zephaniah spilt the blood of children from one end of Jerusalem to the other. That's what scripture tells us. In fact, Zephaniah, the prophet here, his name means Yahweh hides or Yahweh protects. Yahweh hides or Yahweh protects. One of the commentaries I was using while we were stu studying Zephaniah this last week was actually written by a pastor who's on the North Shore. Uh, First Baptist Covington, Wayland Bailey. I don't know if anybody, any of y'all have ever heard Wayland preach, but I was reading the New American Commentary. Wayland actually wrote the commentary on Zephaniah. And what he writes here, he kind of speculates about Zephaniah's own name. And I think it's a good speculation. He says that maybe, in fact, Zephaniah's parents were pious, meaning that they seeked the Lord and worshiped the Lord alone and longed for revival and their days among the people of Judah. And maybe, in fact, they named their child Zephaniah, Yahweh hides or Yahweh 
protects. Maybe, in fact, they named their child that name as a prayer of safety for their son during the midst of an evil king, Manasseh, who was literally shedding the blood of children. God, by his grace, allowed Zephaniah long enough to live to see Zephaniah or see Manasseh's grandson. Manasseh had a son, Amon. I remember growing up in church, we did a kid's play and we had the song, Amon was a bad, bad king. So I remember Amon's not a good king. Amon did what was right in his own eyes, brought shame to himself. But Amon, uh, after he died, after only two years on the throne, Josiah took the throne at eight years old. And it says in the scriptures that Josiah, uh, he, he led Israel for 31 years. So Josiah even himself died at a, at a young age. He dies in battle. Maybe uh, he was a little bit, uh, if you read in the book of Second Chronicles, he was a little bit uh, too confident and didn't listen to the words of the Lord. Because even though Josiah did good things, it doesn't mean that he was perfect either. And so what we see here is that Zephaniah begins to share this message. During the time of Josiah, likely earlier in Josiah's life, where Josiah maybe in fact responded to some of Zephaniah's words, but he's sharing this message. If, you, if, if you're following along while Laura was reading, the message doesn't seem encouraging. <laughs> it seems quite discouraging. But this message of judgment was meant to, to shake Israel, to shake the southern kingdom of Judah specifically, into obedience. Sometimes we need to hear the hard truth to do what's right. You ever been there? Sometimes you need to hear the hard truth to do what's right. Uh, Elijah, you remember playing football? Sometimes you had to have a coach in your face screaming at you. Uh, I would say cussing, but I don't think the Bible says they're supposed to do that, but they do that. Kind of just to shake you to your core. And that's what Zephaniah uses here. He uses actually, I don't think he cusses, but he uses some harsh language. Laura read the word dung, you know, like that's, that's literally what you think it means. Like it's, the Bible's very clear about what our sin is. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like bloody, useless garments. Like the, the Bible is very clear about where sin brings us. And so what we see here is that God is the, ultimately the only one who can remove the shame of sin from us. And what we see in these first 18 verses of chapter one is that the root of sin here is complacency. And the supporting point here is that complacency breeds sinful practice. Complacency breeds sinful practice. Now, what's complacency? Complacency makes you think you have it all going for you. You have it all right. I was baptized. Hey, y'all, we live in a city where the majority of our friends were baptized as kids, right? They were christened. They're complacent. They think they're good, right? They were born into a, a Catholic family. I'm not just picking on Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, all that can be the same way. Like, I grew up in church. I'm good. I, I, I prayed the prayer at VBS. I got dunked. I'm, I'm complacency brings sinful practice. We talked about this last week when we talked about Paul landing in Rome at the end of the book of Acts, and we asked questions about when is the last time you've seen God move in a significant way? 
if you're unwilling to step into what God has called you to do, you become complacent. You become crusty. Greg Laurie, who's the center of, uh, if you haven't seen that movie, Jesus Revolution, it's on Netflix. Greg Laurie's a character in that movie. He's a pastor in Southern California. He's part of the Jesus movement. Greg Laurie, I was at a conference one time where he said, you have two choices as a Christian. You either evangelize or you fossilize. I shared that last week. It's true. We become complacent and crusty and fossilized when we don't do what God has called us to do. Complacency breeds sinful practice. So what we see here in verses 2 and 3, this probably comes as a shock to God's people. This probably comes as a shock to Judah. When God says that I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth, and then he adds, this is the Lord's declaration. And when you read that in the Hebrew, this is the Lord's declaration. It's almost like a, a, a whisper in the ear. Y'all know when, you, when your parent whispers something in the ear, it's, it's assuring. It's assuring, but it's also like, this is going to happen. And that's what's happening. He's saying, I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I will sweep away the people and the animals, the birds of the sky the fish of the sea, the ruins, along with the wicked, I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Just as if you didn't know who this message was coming from, the Lord continues to emphasize this. Now, what we see here is that shame has caught, the shame of sinful practice has caused a, a literal reversal of creation. I don't know if you know that, but sin is a reversal of the, of, of, the, of the way that God created us to be. If you go to Romans chapter one, it says they worship the creator, they worship creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. We as his creation, we were always meant to worship the creator, but we get it wrong. We worship creation all the time. And so what God is saying here is Judah, my people, since you've chosen to go down the sinful path, I'm going to bring destruction on you. My destruction is literally going to reverse the order of what I've created. Usually fish and birds of the air are safe when a storm comes. Y'all know, like they, most of them survived Hurricane Katrina. They survived Hurricane Ida. The birds, they flee. And the, the fish, the crawling things, all that, they survive because water doesn't kill them. Y'all remember, if you were live here during when Hurricane Katrina hit, do y'all remember like they found alligators in people's pools and things like that? Well, it's part of it is because they're usually safe. These are the creatures that are safe. God's saying here in these first three verses, even they aren't safe from my wrath. And the last one created man is going to be the first one to be destroyed. He says in verse four, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, a hand in apocalyptic literature and, and, and prophetic literature, a hand means power. I will literally stretch out my hands against Judah and against Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem literally means city of peace, the place where God's presence was meant to reign and peace was meant to go forth is now becoming a place of destruction because of its own choices. And what does God say? He says he'll cut off Baal. You don't know anything about Baal in the Old Testament? 
Baal was a Canaanite storm god that often infiltrated the worship of God's people. You ever heard the fancy word syncretism? Syncretism is when you mix religions together. Y'all, we have it all the time. We have actually quote-unquote preachers on TV that preach synchronistic messages all the time because half the time they're not from the Bible. They're, They're saying it to make you feel good so that you send in money. Syncretism is when we mix God's word with, with lies, with idolatry. That's what was happening here in, in Judah. We see the Canaanite goddess Asherah, 2 Kings tells us, was, was infiltrating into Israel's worship. We know the sun god Shamash in 2 Kings chapter 23 had also infiltrated the worship of God's people. Many Assyrian astral deities had infiltrated God's people. You think horoscopes are a new thing? They were an old thing, an ancient practice. Even today, the spirit of Baal manifests itself when we look outside of God for truth and things that make us happy. You see, Israel had been taught to do their farming by their Canaanite neighbors. And while they were doing their Canaanite uh, farming practices, they then took on Canaanite gods. They took on Baal. Baal was the Canaanite storm god who ensured the fertility of the land. See, Alexa's wanting to answer it right now, you know? So like, uh, or Siri, Siri, right? Siri's on the phone, right? And so Baal... uh, Alexa doesn't have all the right answers. God's word does, right? You know, so like uh, Baal was literally the promise of harvest. Do y'all get this? Baal was the false promise of harvest. Only one brings the harvest, right? Only one brings the harvest. But we look to Baal too often in our own lives because we want to see a harvest outside of what God has called us to do as his people. Is this all clicking? Sometimes in the Old Testament, this all seems foreign. And we read these words and these names, these things that that maybe it's like, oh man, maybe this made sense to them. It doesn't make sense to us now. It's a message for you and me right now. That's why every book of the Bible is worth your study. Every book of God's word is worth your investment. See, Deuteronomy, the the prayer that Israel prayed every morning and night was the Shema prayer, the Shema Israel. And they said, hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. But what they did is they went against that. They didn't believe that the Lord was one. They didn't believe that there was only one way. And even us in the New Testament, we know that there's one God, right? We know that we we believe in the Trinity, God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, Matthew, or John, John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. But we don't like that one way. We see that one way as exclusive. We see that one way as too hard. And so we try to do it our way far too often. We heap shame upon ourselves when we, we're shameless people and we don't even see the shame that we have. Verse 7, 
Zephaniah says, be silent. This word for silence is an interjection, has in the Hebrew. This word literally was a call to worship, a call to praise. How would you like it if Laura or, or Anna or Tim or Abiyoye, someone who's leading us as, in a call to worship, just got up and said, shut up, shut up. Now's the time to experience God. Well, that's exactly what we have to do when we enter the Lord's presence. We have to shut up to our own opinions. We have to be silent before him. And as he's saying, be silent, the only way we can receive God's words is if we're open to what he has to say. And what he says in verse 7 is that the day of the Lord is near. Now, this day is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is not just, some people say, oh, that's revelation, and they, they tie it all into that. The day of the Lord is anytime the Lord shows up on behalf of himself, the glory of his, of his righteousness, and wants to see his people come back to him and do. The day of the Lord is when he shows up even on our behalf. There was a day of the Lord that happened in the book of Acts. Joel, the, the prophet Joel talked about the day of the Lord. What did he say? He said, there will be a day when I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Furthermore, Joel says that everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord in that day would be saved. The day was fulfilled in the early church. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts chapter 2, the sons, their sons and daughters prophesied the Holy Spirit came. The day of the Lord is any time God acts on behalf of his people through judgment or, or justification for his glory and the good of his people, the good of his purpose. The day of the Lord is near. Do we feel that today? Do we feel that the day of the Lord is near? Too often we, we see God as distant and uninvolved. Do we believe the day of the Lord is near? Now, the day of the Lord in the, in the New Testament, some of the authors in the New Testament, ultimately the Holy Spirit, told us that there'd be a day of our Lord Jesus Christ where he would come back for you and me. Revelation 19 talks about riding on a white horse, sword coming out of his mouth, tattoo on his side, king of kings, Lord of Lords. And you know what? He's coming back with a robe dipped in blood. Why is that? It's because the battle's already been won. The blood's not the enemies that he's going to slice up. The blood is his own blood that he shed on the cross for you and me. The war is over. It's finished. It's done. This is the God that we worship. This is the God we respond to. Sometimes it takes graphic imagery and harsh words from God's word to wake us up to obedience, to shake us out of our complacency. So what's the answer for our complacency? We'll close with this. Zephaniah 2 verses 1 through 3. Let me read these verses again with us this morning. Zephaniah 2, 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together. Again, a call to attention a call to order. Gather yourselves together. Gather together undesirable nation. Actually, uh, the word there for undesirable means shameless. 
the ESV. Y'all know I mostly preach out the ESV. I'm, I'm preaching out of the, the what was this, uh, Christian Standard Bible. It used to have an H in front of it. It was the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I used to like to joke it was the hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. Uh, they translated it. Lifeway was a part of translating it. Christian Standard Bible is the newest version of it. And do y'all know the Christian Standard Bible just recently passed ESV as the second most used Bible translation in, in the United States? Number one's NIV. Number two is the Christian Standard Bible. Number three is ESV. Number four is Old King Jimmy. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so what we see here is that uh, these, the translators, they chose the word undesirable. The word means shameless. Doesn't mean that every translation's perfect. That's why you need to know your Greek and Hebrew, right, Abiyoye? Right, yeah. So uh, get a good Bible translation. Uh, and, and actually, they have programs on the computer. Blue Letter Bible, I think, is a free online program where you can actually look up blueletterbible.com and you can look up the actual word meanings of every word in Scripture. I went on a tangent there. Sorry, y'all. If y'all don't know, the reason why we have different Bible translations is some are word for word, some are thought for thought. Tra words always mean something different. Y'all remember when I was younger, you said, man, that's bad. And bad meant good, right? Language is always changing. I know that because my son speaks to me and I don't understand half the words he's saying. I'm like, you're speaking in tongues? I need translation, you know? Like, Language is always changing, but God's truth never changes. God wants to waken us from our complacency. Gather yourselves together. Gather together, undesirable nation, before the decree takes effect and, and the day passes like the chaff. You know, when they were threshing wheat, like the chaff was the useless part. They threw it in the air. Palestinian winds took it off. So before this before your judgment passes off with uselessness, like wake up is what the prophet's saying, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you, seek the Lord. The word here for seek is a call to worship. He's saying, worship the Lord, all you humble of the earth who carry out what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. When we do thing, got things God's way, it doesn't mean that there's not consequences for our sinful practice. Uh, I'll, I'll, pick on, I'll pick on my, my friend Kevin, right? Kevin, Kevin spent some time incarcerated. It doesn't mean that God was going to free him from his incarceration just because he turned to the Lord. Sometimes we have consequences for our actions, but our consequences and the judgment helps us become a better person. That's the point, right? Kevin has come out of that filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to do the Lord's work. You know what I mean? And none of us should judge him because you know what? Your righteousness is like filthy rags too. You just didn't get caught. We talked about actually the head of our denomination this last week uh, who heads our executive committee uh, actually had to resign for lying on his resume. I sent to the staff, when that happened, I said, you know what? I'm glad no one's doing a background check on everything that I've ever said because I would get caught and exposed to. This is why integrity is important because you never want to get to that point while you're still living in a lie and you're still living in sin because you know what? 
the things that you do have consequences not just on you, but on other people. You can hurt other people with your own complacency. The only hope for Israel was repentance. Gather yourselves together, undesirable nation. Repent and seek the Lord. Actually, the word used here in the Hebrew for nation is the word goy. And the word goy is only ever used for pagans. So even in this call to worship, Zephaniah's challenging them that they're acting like pagans. He's saying, pagan nation, come and worship your God. We know that Israel during this time, I think Laura read the word Milcom earlier, that they had turned to the god Milcom. The god Milcom was actually closely correlated with another god you might have heard of before, Molech. And Molech, the way that you worship Molech is you sacrificed sons and daughters on the altar. You literally killed them. Because you wanted to seek the ends of, of what you wanted to get, you would sacrifice your own children and put them to death. The spirit of Molech still reigns in our world today. I'm not just talking abortions, one. We're pro-life in life, pre, I mean, pre-birth, post-birth, right? We're for life. The spirit of Molech exists when we put our own selfish desires over those of other people. This is why I'm trying to wake us up today through the prophet Zephaniah for us to move from shame to praise. Because God, what, what God wants for us is praise. He wants us worship. So our second point is this. I only have two points. Worship is our hope. Worship is our hope. Now, what's worship? Is worship singing songs? Worship is, worship is, what, you, is what you do. It's the songs that you sing. It's the, it's the steps that you take. I love Louis. Anybody ever heard of Louis Giglio, Passion? Uh, Louis Giglio writes in his book, The Air I Breathe. That's one of my favorite definitions of what worship is. He says, the simplest way I can define worship is this. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Let me say that again. Worship is our response to what we value the most. The word here in verse 3, seek, literally means to secure, to discover, to possess, to acquire. Are you seeking the things of God today? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you sharing your faith? Don't just check off Sundays as a religious practice that, that'll get you through the week. Sundays is meant to stir you and me so that we can be sent out as missionaries. The, go and make disciples. The word there means for go means as you go. So we are sent today as we go, and we make disciples of all nations, and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that the Lord has commanded. And, and God says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we do that two ways. We seek righteousness, and we seek humility. Righteousness is defined in this way. Genuine worship, the New American Commentary says, genuine worship of the Lord issues in right actions. Righteousness doesn't save you, but saved people will pursue 
righteousness. Doing the right thing. Laura and I, one of our life verses is Proverbs 21, 21. It says, he who pursues righteousness and love receive life, prosperity, and honor. Most of us, we want the life, the prosperity, and the honor. But what does God tell us? He who pursues righteousness and love receives those things. And you may receive those things in the way that you don't expect receiving those things. Those things may come through hardship. They may come through your shame having to be rooted out of you. Seek humility. Humility is being absolutely dependent. Humility is not something that is natural to any of us. Humility was, was, was actually looked at as distasteful in the pagan world of the biblical days. Pride was prized. Even in our day, let's be honest with ourselves, I'm going to close with this. Even in our day, we say, oh, I like humble people. We like humble people, but we don't like to be that humble person. Pride is still more highly prized. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're supposed to lay our, our lives down for the sake of other people, but we oftentimes use people to get ahead for ourselves. This is why Amos shared a similar message in his book, and he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I could care less about your offerings. I'm paraphrasing that. But then there's that famous verb, but let justice flow like a river and righteousness like an unfailing stream. It's because none of this matters if justice and righteousness aren't undergirding what we do. James wrote, James, Jesus' little brother wrote in James 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You need to hear that again today. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God wants the places where we seem weak. Jim Simula writes, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and admit how desperately they need him. And you need to hear this today. Did you know this? Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Our weakness makes room for his power. Worship is our only hope. And let God today define what that hope is. That hope may mean imprisonment. That hope may mean rejection. That hope may mean bankruptcy. That hope may mean that your favorite sports team loses when the NFL kicks off. Like that hope may mean that you get rejected by that person that you like. That hope may mean many different things, but that hope was never meant to make you happy. That hope was meant to make you holy. And that's what Jesus wants to do to you and I today. He wants us to have hope a hope that can only be found in him. Remember this, God removes shame. Let us never forget that as we respond. Elijah, would you come and close us in a word of prayer?